You're listening to episode 290 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we return to our look at the Netflix horror series, The Haunting of Hill House. And, dude, you know, for a day or so, it was kind of a letdown. I mean, I'm sorry to be done with Travelers, but then the realization that we're done done with Travelers. Yeah, it's weird, because I guess the only show that, I think Lost Girl, right, is the only show we were watching, in, and I say real time with air quotes now, because of course Netflix, but, you know, and we saw Lost Girl all the way through, but I don't, I don't know, I don't remember feeling the little kind of sense of ennui at the end of Lost Girl, but... I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, we we did seasons three and four of The Librarians live. Oh, yeah, The Librarians, but we didn't know, right? Exactly, right. We didn't know at that point. So, yeah, just a new feeling for us. And and I also have to say, as I said, it was a bit of a letdown, and I was having a little bit of a difficult time getting back into Hill House. But, dude, after about 15, 20 minutes of this episode and then on the rewatch, this is good stuff. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, this one, it, it's weird. I, I kind of thought at first, like, because at first it was not great, you know. Um, it got really good. But the beginning is just kind of like people talking and talking about their feelings and stuff. And, uh, you know, so, and then of course, like, you know, there, there's like, so a couple of the characters are kind of annoying in this episode, especially Shirley in particular. So I wasn't necessarily loving it until the that that scene, you know, the whole scene with with Shirley and Theo outside the car. So all right, well, we'll get to that in a second. Let's take care of some housekeeping before we get too deep into the conversation, because I was all ready to throw my letter grade out there and then. Uh, try to justify it or raise it, probably not lower it, but uh, do want to bring up the Patreon account that we have, which exists to help defray the costs of producing sci-fi TV rewatch. And, you know, as we've said many times, we're never going to charge for content. And if we have bonus content, it's going to be available to everybody. And, you know, of course, we hope you choose to become a patron, but if not, we're still going to keep talking about the shows we all love. But, Wayne and I realize we've been a little bit remiss in offering more than just a thank you to our patrons. So here's what we decided we're going to do. If you are currently a patron, we're going to discuss as a bonus episode, the television episode of your choice. Now, there are parameters. Obviously, the show must be genre, sci-fi, fantasy, supernatural, or horror. We'll cover one episode, but it can come from any season of the show that you choose. Now, on the one hand, way you can weigh in on this, I'm thinking it should be currently available on Netflix. And then, of course, I thought, well... well or Amazon Prime, people, right? Okay, a lot of people have Amazon Prime. I, I don't, but, you know, I certainly can uh, you know, yeah. do a free, free trial or whatever. So, you know, maybe we'll, we'll open it up to Amazon Prime. And, you know, we can even stretch it a little bit further than that i I don't want to get into discussing the whole idea of streaming right now and and i've i've done a bit of research on the legalities of streaming from some of these websites that a lot of people would consider sketchy but uh, it's a story for another day so um 
hit us up. Never say never. If you're a patron or former patron that's still a listener, you know, shoot us an email with your choice and we'll address the episodes in the order with which we receive the requests. So, you know, the email sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. And we're not going to air these one after another, rather we're spread them out over the course of the podcast. So hopefully that sounds fair, something that you would look forward to. And I think that gives you a lot of choice in what Wayne and I will discuss. All right. Sounds good. All right. Yeah. And then we get to like watch, you know, some random, hopefully really good episode of something. Yeah. That we might not have seen before. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, we've got some news and the news is that Haunting of Hill House has been renewed for a second season though it appears it might be the last we've seen of the crane family because season two is titled the haunting of Bly manor which is going to be based on the henry james novella the turn of the screw Ooh! and i i've never read it uh i i know we have copies in the book room at school i don't know if i don't ever... know if we do anymore though oh, okay <laughs> we used to that's when i read it somebody probably traded them for something else but <laughs> yeah. uh Anyway, uh, it's kind of exciting, and there isn't any casting news, but you have to wonder, first of all, I don't know for sure whether creator Mike Flanagan is going to be attached to the show, but will they use the same actors playing different roles the, mm-hmm. the, way, the way they do on that other anthology horror show that many of us love? And You're not going to mention... Well, you can go ahead and mention it. You know, you put American Horror Story out there? Uh, okay. And, and we did the pilot way back when. Yeah. I believe. But, I just thought maybe you suddenly had something against it that you, you weren't even going to, you couldn't even speak its name. <laughs> no. But the one thing I did think about is if Mike Flanagan is attached to the show, and I know he's got other things that, that he's working on, I would certainly think Kate Siegel, who plays Theo, his wife in real life. Yeah would be and I, I mean, he'd probably be in hot water if you didn't cast her yeah unless she's got some other role that's even better but uh you know we'll keep you guys up to date i know we said sort of in, not in an offhanded way that we probably wouldn't do season two of the haunting of hill house if and when it airs but uh, yeah who knows yeah and we we won't well well <laughs> exactly right right exactly <laughs> We definitely will not do season two of Haunting of Hill House. Right. So, all right. Well, that that's going to lead me in nicely to my tip of the week. And that is for you guys to download yourself a copy of James' novella, The Turn of the Screw, which is now in the public domain. It has been for quite a while. It's available in various e-reader formats. I got it in EPUB for my Nook. Uh, I also got it in PDF format, perfectly legal. Uh, I'm sure all you have to do is go out there and Google, because that's all I did. Google the turn of the screw, download, and you'll find it. So that's my tip of the week. Download it. It's only like 128 pages, I think. So it's Yeah, it's really short. Yeah, entirely readable. So Absolutely. All right, what do you got? I have a podcast that I, I wouldn't say discovered, but I found. Uh, it's called uh, Mobituaries with Mo Rocca. Do you know who Mo Rocca is? I don't. Okay, so Mo Rocca was on uh, The Daily Show uh, for a long time. He's a super funny guy. He does oh, one of the, the Sunday, it's, 
one of the Sunday news shows now. I can't remember which one. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't, it just popped up. I guess it's really popular probably is how it popped up. And, um, so like the, the first one, oh, I can't remember. We talked about the first one, but like the, so actually like, I, I think it's the second one he did. Do you remember the album, the, the first family? Oh, sure. Vaughn. Yeah. Meter. God, I'm surprised right. you yeah, didn't know yeah. about it. Nice. Um, so I mean, obviously, when I, you know, John Kennedy had been dead uh, for seven years when I was born, but my parents had that, and I thought it was the funniest album ever. It's, um, if you if you don't know what we're talking about, then you're probably very young, uh, but if you do know, uh, you know, it, it's uh, a, um, you know, a, a Von Meter was a, a JFK impersonator. And so they did this whole album of, you know, kind of like behind the scenes at the Fitzgerald White House. And it was super funny. I loved it. So his first episode, well, not his first, I think the second one they did on Vaughn Meter. Um, and how after JFK was assassinated, his career kind of went down the tubes uh, a little bit. Um, they did one on, um, on uh, Audrey Hepburn, which was really good. I, I just listen to one today uh he and michael ian black talked about neanderthals so while he calls it mobituaries it sounds like they do like an obituary of a person who has just died they they do like like for audrey hepburn it was like death of an icon uh for vaughn meters death of a career um i think the neanderthals maybe they call it like death of a species or something like that um so it's not it, it sounds from the title it sounds morbid uh but it's not and it's really, really good. Uh, he does uh, you know, really good research. Um, interviews uh, pretty, you know, pretty fascinating people. Um, I like it a lot. Cool. Yeah, I mean, that was an age when comedy records were, were pretty big. Bill Cosby, uh, Bob yeah. Newhart certainly made right. his career you know, that way. So, uh, you know, I'm sure they did stand up as well. But, but you know... Parents like ours had comedy records in the home, and, and as you said, it was a big deal. Listen to it over and over. There was a time when we probably could uh, recite entire bits from that record. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, exactly. That's so funny because once they're playing some parts, I actually remembered. I was able to like finish the punchlines. You know, like um, especially I remember the the one he's talking about the uh, you know the he's got um, the kids in the tub and he's apportioning out the uh, toys to each kid and everything. It's, I don't know. It's really cool. So I, I highly recommend checking out Mo Rocca. He's very intelligent, very, very funny uh, guy. And uh, it's a really good podcast. Cool. All right. Well, let's move on to The Haunting of Hill House, episode eight of season one, Witness Marks, written by Jeff Howard, who wrote 106 Two Storms with Mike Flanagan. And he wrote this one with Rebecca Klingel directed as all the episodes are by Mike Flanagan. And we get that one flashback at the beginning when Stephen and Lee are at the fertility doctor and he sees his mother outside the office peering at him through the door. Did you know that was her right away? I didn't know it was her at all. I, I thought it might've been Nellie. That's what so, I thought. Yeah. So how did he, how, how'd you figure out who it was? Well, as she got closer to the window, I, I felt like, it was his mother. Now, okay. I, I didn't, you know, freeze frame it or anything like that. 
but for the longest time, I thought it was, as you said, Nell, and then it got closer. And, and I just wonder if, and, and again, one of the things about Hill House that I think really hits me in this episode is that we don't get answers. We get a lot of details, but mm-hmm. we don't get answers and explanations, yeah. and I like it. And I guess I feel it was his mother. I'd have to go back and, and look again. It, it, yeah, it probably was. I I really couldn't see. I guess the TV's far enough away. I never really could clearly see who it was. But I, So I, I'll take your word for it. Well, I guess my explanation would be he's sitting there with his wife, and he has this immense secret that once Lee finds out, if she finds out, it's possibly the end of their marriage. I feel like Lee has found out. Well, and but I mean, at this point, and is his mother representative of the guilt that he feels about not informing his wife about this? You know, pretty pretty devastating fact. And the <laughs> what, what better representation for guilt than your mother? Right? Exactly right. It wouldn't make sense. <laughs> for that to be Nell in, in terms yep. of, of an explanation. Yeah, absolutely true. Yep. Yeah. So now I love the fact that it takes place on Halloween night, all Hallow's Eve, remembering the dead. And one of the things, and, and Fred touches on something in his feedback about the characters finally waking up and finally listening. And, you know, one of the things that strikes me in this episode is that in particular, Shirley and Stephen, they think they know what they see, but they really don't, right? I mean, Shirley thinks she sees her husband with her sister, and she gets finally this long explanation. And, and you know, you started talking about, I think, that scene outside of the car when Theo goes into that long explanation about why she did what she did and what Shirley actually saw you know that went on a little bit too long for me oh really i thought it was just so i thought that was so good uh Kay siegel the acting was just incredible i just i i loved you know like especially theo who really doesn't say much of anything i think who someone calls her just a like a bald fist or something like yeah, that that's steven yeah oh yeah a clenched fist with hair, um, you know, and for her to just let it all out like that and to, you know, bear herself, uh, before her sister, uh, man, that was, that, that was intense. I thought. Yeah. Now, Steven, of course, thinks he sees that clock repair guy, the game room and the treehouse, And we'll talk about those in a little bit. And, and Shirley sees the man with the drink, from the funeral home from when she was a kid. So Mm -hmm. all of, you know, and I think for those two more than the younger three, this episode's about them really coming to terms with what's really going on. But the problem is we don't know what the hell really is going on. Right. But to just to think that, uh, there's more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in their philosophy, I would say, you know, especially for Steven to admit that there is something going on that can't be explained away with 
our family's crazy, right? That's like his stock line, right? Right. Our, our family's crazy. That's why all these things happen. And the dad's like, no, they're not. You know, because being crazy, you know, I guess the implication is is that they're somewhat culpable for what has happened to them. Whereas Hugh's basically like, no, we're not culpable. We're victims here. We're being victimized uh, by this this place. Right. Well, he tells Stephen, you see the marks, but you don't know how to read them. And that, I think, gets at the heart of what the problem is, or certainly one of the problems. Now, we see some of Steve's memories of Hill House and his mother, and we get that one scene with Mrs. Dudley when he's found the vanity table in the game room, and she seems surprised as if she doesn't know the room. And we don't want to go too far with with that idea, but... It's a great scene. You know, you have to love, I guess he's probably not 13 yet. He's on the cusp of teenagerdom and he wants to do this for his mother. He senses it's something she needs and he really does a nice job with it when we see the Yeah, he does a great project. job. But Man, just, if I could get my kids to do something like that. Yeah, and, and the fact that Mrs. Dudley's, you know, willing to help him, but then she opens that drawer and we get the story of Poppy and William Hill, who met in a mental asylum. And again, I'm wondering, is that supposed to parallel with Olivia and Hugh? Because, you know, throughout the course of this season, we've looked at Olivia as having mental problems, even though Hugh tells Stephen, no, she that that wasn't the pro- you know, that wasn't the issue. But then you start thinking, like, well, if he is discounting her mental illness, if we want to call it that, then then maybe he has some issues as well. And I, I just couldn't help but make that connection when, when Mrs. Dudley starts explaining about the Hills. And I mean, is that Poppy at the end? Yeah, I, I think because it looked, you know, just like the woman in, in the picture, yeah. though we didn't get to see the picture very long, but yeah, you know, I, I I couldn't imagine them introducing that and then have someone in like you know kind of like flapper attire and it not be her. Yeah, you know. So, and well, William is the 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 tall guy who uh, walled himself up, right? Yes, I believe so. Okay, so we've seen him. We know he's around, right? As and, as a ghost, right? Right. And, Right, and Mrs. Dudley seems to, I don't even want to say imply, she comes right out and says that, that he was mentally ill as well and that, that, that they were two kindred spirits brought together as opposed to Hugh and Olivia. And, and he's got that really beautiful story that he tells Stephen when they're riding in the car about the kite and the line. And Stephen comes up with, I think, some sort of sarcastic comment about it. But... But, it, you know, it really does, you know, I, I guess, crystallize the way many couples are, that they, they complement each other. One's the dreamer. One has his or her feet on the ground. And, you know, so. Yeah, Hugh's really speaking in metaphors a lot this Oh, morning. my gosh. You're not kidding. I almost thought that he would say something like, you know, Gilgamesh and Enkidu. Well, well Theo had a right? few metaphors also in her little speech to Shirley outside the car I, I did notice I didn't write any of them down but I thought ah oh, that would be Shaka good. when the walls yeah. fell yeah so <laughs> now 
the unexplained events at Shirley's place. I mean, this is almost like, okay, Shirley, explain this. You can't deny things are weird now. And this is in the aftermath of what Hugh and Theo saw about the Forever House model getting, you know, trashed on the ground and all of that. So Well, and then seeing, you know, Olivia. Right. Right, crawling along the ground. But yeah. who or what is doing the banging? I mean, at first we assume it's in her head, maybe a reaction to finding Kevin in the closet with Theo. But when Theo comes to apologize and they both hear it, so so who is it? I mean, you, you have any thoughts on who or, this might be? I mean, what? Okay, well, it? what then? I, I think it's the, they're just being haunted, right? Okay. It's just kind of... Um, you know, it's kind of it, it's you know it's not like we haven't seen this before. Um, this mysterious knocking that you don't know who's doing it. That's you know a, a haunted you know a, a ghost movie horror movie um, you know thing. So uh, you know, it, and so we assume it's you know like some. It, it seems to be something supernatural, especially. When the thing doing the knocking stops just knocking on the door, but now it's knocking on the windows and then multiple windows at once. And it seems like the whole house is shaking, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think a bunch of kids trick-or-treating are going to make the whole house shake. Well, right. But is this then evidence that it's not Hill House after all, but something in the Crane Kids, as Stephen tries to explain to his father? I mean, what does Theo think the knocking is? I, I start thinking, again, going back to who does Stephen see outside of the doctor's office, his mother. I, I mean. Well, I he mean, sees Nell in his apartment. Right. Nell's haunted by herself her whole life. Right. You know, so, so yeah, I mean, I mean the, the Hill House's reach uh, is, goes well beyond just the, the confines of the house itself. Right. It's much more than just residual memories from Hill House. And, and as you said, it really comes down to it's got to either be Olivia or Nell if we think it's not the house. But I'm kind of sensing that, that you're thinking it's the house. And that's what I'm feeling. The, the house's reach goes a long way. Now we- it does seem to come in. It's, you know, you mentioned Olivia and Nell, and they can make a case for that because, you know, it the supernatural events here do seem to help bring the girls closer together, and, and to find you know, it's only after Nell scared the living s out of me. Um, it's only after she appears in the car that finally. Shirley listens to Theo. Oh, oh, hold on. You you think that was Nell in the back seat? Was it not? Well, I guess I always thought it was Olivia. Hmm. But again, I guess I could be wrong. I mean, I did watch it. I've seen it three times. I saw it, you know, once way back. And then I watched it uh, today and I watched it once yesterday. Boy, uh, see, now you got me second guessing because well, you know uh, but I, I, again i'm going to defer to to you on this one i guess because it does happen very quickly and i guess i just assumed it was now because i don't know why i assumed it was now well see i come back to uh, you know and maybe we'll go over to the car ride because we've got the two 
parallel car rides and the one with Shirley and Theo, um, after Theo, in her explanations, tells her sister, I was in the dark that whole night. And, and of course, we're thinking all five kids have been in the dark for 20 years. Right. And, and you're just really the one, I think, that, that's willing to start trying to find out what it is that's going on. But I still think it's Olivia's appearance. And whether it's Olivia or Nell, arguably the most frightening jump scare in the entire series. Oh, I totally forgot about it. And whew, nearly, nearly saw the shorts on that one. Well, I, I watched it yesterday. And then I watched it again today and I forgot from yesterday and it was scared <laughs> again. So I guess I feel like it makes sense for it to be Olivia because it's the mother stepping in between her girls. Because at that point, the argument is really getting intense right? between the two sisters. Yes. And, and while you certainly could see the younger sister wanting to break up a fight between her older sisters, but it, to me, it made more sense that it was Olivia and, and that Olivia's reach. But I uh, guess we'll have to go back or hear what uh, you guys out there think uh, that, that we're uh, either right or wrong on this one. But you know, we get that impassioned explanation about touching Nell's dead body and, and her subsequent inability to feel anything. And, and she keeps repeating that. I didn't see him like four times. And... I thought the acting job was really good. D don't misunderstand what I said earlier that I thought that scene went on a bit too long because it was nothing about Kate Siegel and, and the emotion that, that she was generating. I guess I just it, still, I still think it went on a little bit too long, but I didn't see him. Now I know she's referring to Kevin and, but again, it, it, it goes so much deeper. Who's him that she didn't see. I mean, um, Shirley doesn't say anything the whole time, does offer her sister a hand to help her up. And I, I guess that's about as much as we can expect out of Shirley at this point, I guess. I mean. Yeah, I thought even after all that, it was uh, kind of lame. The just the the hand up that she she offered. Well, to, I get um, and I guess it's progress from when they were back at the house. And True. Theo was trying to explain. And heck, even when Kevin leaves to go trick-or-treating with the kids and asks her if they can talk when he gets back, and she's like, well, that'll be kind of hard since you'll be at the hotel. Yeah. And yeah, so, she is just really super, like, self-righteous, you well, know. She's perfect. And, yeah, you know, um, so yeah, her, her whole, you know, you know, Fred said that she was like really annoying and it, it is because you, you're, you know, as Theo the whole time is trying to like basically say, listen, you got it wrong. Here's what really happened. She's just not even willing to, 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 to even address that. You know? right. Yeah, sure. And and what's also really interesting is, is how she's so closely connected to Stephen, not only in age, but also 
in attitude and approach because he's the same way with his father. Right. Well, yeah, that's a, it, it was really the um, the kind of parallelism between the two car rides where, you know, you got the one person who's trying to reach out and the other who is just not having it. And, and then ultimately they um they yeah they they connect and uh and actually why well, the words are just not coming yeah they um you know communicate with one another and listen to each other um at least you know Stephen seems to listen to his dad um and we, it looks like Shirley maybe a little bit so um yeah I, I like how that worked out you know and also with the kind of role reversal where we see uh, Stephen as a youngster wanting to help his dad, you know, like, which I, I, you know, that was, I thought that was really nice. Like, you know, dad, can I help? Can I, you know, and everything because, um, yeah, we all had that, you know, for all of us that are, you know, boys and everything. Like, well, not, girls too, probably. But, you know, like you probably relate to your parents when you were a kid. There was a time when you wanted to do everything with your parents and you wanted to hang out with them. And then all of a sudden that, that changes. And it's it's a little sad, I guess, for both sides of it. Um, and, of course, you know, if you get older, then it, it tends to go the other way again. So we kind of see that whole rotation here where, you know, Stephen, the kid, trying to reach out to his dad. The dad saying – Nah, 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 you know, no, nah, really, no. Um, and then comes up with a lame, oh, well, you could take care of your sister, you know, and your brother. And that's like, eh, that's not. We and then later now we see kind of the role reversal, which when, you know, you get to be older, your parents get to be older, and, and then there's a uh, role switch. Right. And um, as you said, in that flashback, Stephen wants to help both his parents. He does the, uh, the re. Uh, finishing of that uh, vanity for his mom and he as you said wants to help his dad and and you know his dad finally comes up but you know you called it lame but um, i guess when you have five kids if you can have one of them watch the other four for a little bit that that's that that is probably more than than nothing but you know as you said i mean as steven and his dad are riding in the car Stephen goes from you know, almost holding up his hands like, I don't want to hear anything you have to say to really opening up to his father, but not before he tells Hugh that it wasn't the house. She was sick and, and he's convinced that that they're all sick with some level, some form of mental illness. And you understand why he would say that. I mean, that's the logical. That's the reasonable explanation for things that have gone on in their lives in the past and, and are continuing to go on. But he reveals his vasectomy to his father. Well, he doesn't actually reveal it. He reveals the information about the vasectomy. Um, right. He's convinced the crane genes were rife with mental illness issues. And, and as we said, he doesn't tell Lee about it, which is obviously a recipe for disaster. But then when, they learn that Luke bought five cans of gasoline. They immediately realize he's planning to burn down the house. And Stephen mm-hmm. thinks that's a great idea. And then dad says, the house is going to defend itself. Yeah. And I mean, just when he says that we know he's probably right. And I love when we get that scene 
when Luke drives up and he gets out of the car and he's got, I think, a one gas can in each hand and the lights in the house all go on as if mm-hmm. the house is saying, bring it on, dude. Yeah, or welcome, you know, time to come home. Well, that could be too. That could be right? too. Except with the creepy red lights, which yeah, are right. not very welcoming. Right, right. Um, but, you know, once we get to this point, it, I, I come back to that line that I mentioned earlier that you all have seen the marks. You just didn't know how to read them. And that's why I love the title of this episode, Witness Marks, so much. I mean, yes, the whole thing about the clock and, and the fact that the guy that Stephen wrote about fixing the clock really wasn't there, that it was a ghost. I mean, obviously that's cool, but yeah. the fact that there's just so much that, that they really have no idea of what's going on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, does the house protect itself? I mean, he lights the gasoline and just like, poof, nothing happens. Yeah, it's like Cherry's Jubilee or something. Right. And then obviously we're left with not knowing what happens to Luke, the woman behind him, as you said, and I think you're right, it probably is Poppy Hill. Now what? Yeah. So Well, Luke's probably in a, a, a spot of trouble here, I would say. Yep, yep. But before we get too much further, because you you had said how the, the name of this was Witness Marks, and I was just thinking that after that jump scare, they, they could have called this episode Skid Marks. Boom. Psh. Yeah, you're not kidding. They're lucky they didn't run into a tree. Oh, well, that yeah, those two. Yeah. Now, in terms of, I don't know, I don't want to say that it's a, a, a flaw in the episode, but we still don't find anything out about the Red Room, or do we? We'll hold that off for the spoiler zone. Yeah. Um, is Stephen coming around to Hugh's contention that the house is after the Crane family? I mean, we don't get a definitive answer yet, but certainly Stephen has to acknowledge, just as Shirley has to acknowledge, that things maybe aren't what I thought they were. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's like kind of like a big step for both of them. They might not be there yet. They might not be at the point where they're like, okay, I'm on board. But at least they're listening, right? Yes. At least now they, they're not keeping a closed mind. Um so, which because it's funny how Stephen said way back, like supernatural is just science we don't know about yet, right? So that sounds like a statement of someone who has a very open mind, but yet we really haven't seen that necessarily as the series has progressed. Right now, we do have all the cranes converging on Hill House, and we have to wonder what the repercussions will be once they arrive. If it is the house, then what's the deal with their mother appearing, I I think, to Shirley and Theo and then uh, to Luke, uh, you know, once he's in Hill House again. So clearly, you know, there's something going on there. Um, But before we get to Fred's feedback in the spoiler zone, uh, anything else you want to bring up that we haven't talked about? Um, I, I don't think so. You know, because I think this was a good episode. I'm going with an A minus. Yeah, it's solid A minus, definitely. And as I was doing my notes, I realized, well, 
for an episode that I think is really good, I should have more notes, but I, I guess it's just the way the dialogue uh, progressed and just the way the whole episode was constructed. There's not too much else we need to talk about, I don't think. So, yeah, no, I just I I only have like a little over a page of notes here, right? right. And it doesn't make the episode any less because you know A minus is a good grade. But uh, anyway, all right. Well, let's hear what Fred has to say in this week's listener feedback. Hello, Dave and Wayne. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Hunting of Hill House season one, episode eight. Don't worry. This will not be as long as my last feedback for the finale of Travelers, which was about 12 minutes. Nice episode, this episode of Hunting of Hill House, and I think the title should be not to be or not to be, but to listen or not to listen. Especially in the beginning, I was very much annoyed, as in the whole first season, actually, that Shirley is not listening. And she's not listening, and she's not listening And she actually needs these very strange occurrences to finally wake up. And then when Theo comes in her home and tells her more or less the truth, then still she doesn't listen. And then all that rambling and knocking on on the house and on the door happens. And then finally she got a little bit to her senses. Then later on, when they're on the road towards the house, in the beginning, I thought, okay, okay, she is allowing Theo to tell things. And then she stops her again. And then again, something supernatural has to happen before she really listens. And actually, the same is true for Stephen and his dad, because he didn't want to listen to his dad, because he blames his dad for the death of his mother. And then driving in this car... Slowly, slowly, he's going to tell things and going to listen. So in that sense, this episode was quite special because finally people are going to listen to each other. And then at the end, Luke trying to burn the house and he doesn't succeed in that. Well, we have to see next episode. And of course, in this episode, what gives me Hearing church bells, well, actually it's a quarter to ten on Sunday when I record this, and indeed our church, very close to our house, is chiming. Uh, Is uh, Stephen saying something about genetics? Well, I think you heard enough about genetics last podcast. Okay, two and a half minutes. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. All right, um, you know, I mentioned earlier that Fred brings up Shirley not listening, finally waking up. And and again, I think what's great is that, as we were saying about that scene outside of the car, yeah, she helps her up, but she doesn't say anything. So she's waking up. She heard all that knocking in the house and the pounding on the windows. I, I was waiting for Theo to look her in the eye and say, deny that. Right. And of course, yeah. she wouldn't be able to. Right. But I mean, is that surely is she just going to deny as long as humanly possible? Because to accept opens her up to 
you know, you well, said the yeah, well, I think the spoiler zone is where I can really talk about Shirley. I, I don't, I don't feel I can comment a hundred percent on Shirley at this point without giving up some stuff. So, okay. Okay. And, and then Fred brings up Stephen not listening either. And, and I think we both agree that he is coming around a little more quickly than his younger sister, but Fred, Dude, love the church bells in the background. Yeah. That, and and, and we've great. heard those before in Fred's feedback, but today it was just really, it was perfect. At first I thought it was something that Fred added in deliberately. And then, you know, he mentioned it and I'm like, oh yeah, we've heard those before. So, mm-hmm. all right, Fred, thank you for the feedback and we'll wait to hear from you for next week's episode nine but let's head over to the spoiler zone and as we always tell you if you haven't watched episodes nine and ten of hill house stop here return next week for the podcast that we'll do on episode nine but the first thing that i want to bring up for the spoiler zone is mrs dudley's reaction to hearing about the game room when when steven tells her that's where he found the vanity and she's giving him that look like game room. Uh, yeah. Where's that? And, and of course, it's a precursor to what we find out in the final episode. And Hugh. Well, it's also what Hugh told Stephen yes, here. Like, exactly. About the treehouse. Right. There's there's no treehouse. And so, yeah, the treehouse, the game room, the dancing room for Theo, um, the, 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 I can't remember what it was for Shirley. I think maybe a reading room, I think, for Shirley. But anyway, it's it's all the red room. Exactly. Right? Um, and right. it's it's just the, the, the way it manifests itself. Like, to think that it manifests itself as a treehouse, but it's obviously not even outside the house, right? Right. So, it's just uh, crazy. Well, and... On the surface, it's as if the red room manifests itself to be whatever the individual child needs at that time, but it's it's much more than that, and not necessarily in a good way either. No, very, very bad way. And I don't know if we need to talk about like ultimately what happens in the red room. Um, you know, just yeah. Unless I don't know if you do want to, but no, we I mean, can hold it, off. Yeah, it just it's it's not. It seems at this point to be a kind of benevolent, kind of like Harry Potter room of requirement, but it really is not. It's not good, right? And and I mean, certainly we get some information. Well, it's not. It's not even spoiler. If uh, the explanation about the old man with the handlebar mustache and the old overalls, we we learn the truth about him. You know, in episode eight, um, right. But anything else for the spoilers? Well, so the big one I said about Shirley, right? Because Shirley is super self-righteous, super judgmental, uh, is giving Kevin a hard time. Like that line where he's like, can we talk? And she's like, how can we? You're going to be at your hotel. I mean, that's just completely, totally just boom, you know, just like and, – and like her, with Theo, their absolute refusal – to even to even talk, to even try and work it out, you know. She's just being completely judgmental. And this from a woman who cheated on her husband. Yes. 
And so that's what she she goes in. She sees the guy with the drink who at this point we still know, but we will find out probably I think next episode that it's a guy. She was away at a conference. She met this guy and she had sex with him. And so she, and she just comes back, goes back to everyday life with her husband. She's got a little skeleton in her closet. And yet she has the gall then to be so judgmental with Kevin. And she doesn't even know what happened. You know, right, and I guess that goes back to speak to the the you know it's almost like the expectation she has of herself to be perfect, and she can't live with the fact that she's human, that she made a mistake, and while I get maybe keeping it from her husband it, just as well he doesn't know. But then perhaps be a little less judgmental of other people that have flaws as well. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And you, and you know, because we know that's what she's thinking, right? I mean, yeah. We kind of, at this point, get that this guy shows up as like a little, as, as like her conscience, right? Yeah, sure. And uh, And so she sees that, and yet she still is completely self-righteous, completely judgmental with both her sister and her husband. And... Uh, that's uh, really super hypocritical. Yeah. Mm. Anything else? Um, well, I mean, we do. We know it is Poppy. Yeah. Right. And she is crazy. Right. <laughs> um. Yeah, and we'll talk about what Luke's situation is and everything. I don't think we need to. Uh, there's the thing. You know, I, I think if we look at just the stuff that means something within this episode, exactly. Right. Really. Yep. That's Shirley's hypocrisy, um, yeah, but we don't know it now. But again, on the rewatch, we do, and it's just, you know, it's almost, it's nauseating almost. All right, well, before we sign off, I want to remind you guys what we said at the top of the show, that if you are a patron of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch and you want to get involved with our offer to cover any show, any episode that you want us to do send us an email sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com you guys that are patrons you know who you are but that's going to do it for this episode of sci-fi tv rewatch we want to thank you for joining us we'd love to hear what you think about our return to hill house the end of travelers anything else going on in genre tv we'd encourage you to join the facebook group share your thoughts with the sci-fi tv rewatch community and if you're already a member spread the word Emails, as we've said, sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. You can send us a voicemail via the SpeakPipe tab, which you can access through the website. And we'll be back next week to talk about The Haunting of Hill House, Season 1, Episode 9, titled Screaming Mimis. But until then... Yeah, Dave, I, I don't know about some of these questions. I just I applied for a job the other day, and just some of the questions they asked in the interview, I, I think they might be a little bit more personal. I mean, the lady went and asked me, when did you ejaculate last? <laughs>